Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos. I think this guest here, I shouldn't say I think, um, but I also don't want to put thoughts and ideas into her mind or words, um, has been uh, living this journey um, in, in, in her recent learning curve and path in life. And I am really, really delighted to have this conversation. Our guest today is someone who, from afar and at conferences and things of this nature, um, is someone that I have always valued the insights, the the forward thinking and, and education, and even now following her work where she may not be directly involved in education, but there's still so much learning and teaching going on um, that I would love to unpack here today. And I'm speaking of none other than Rafranz Davis, who uh, many of you are aware of and have seen, and if not, definitely someone you need to check into and uh, bring into your network to follow her journey. So thank you so much for for joining the show here today. And I always like to have the guests start off with introducing themselves. I know that sometimes talking about ourselves isn't always the, 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 the thing we all enjoy the most, but who are you? What do you do? And uh, what in the world do you got going on? That's quite the introduction. <laughs> I'm not even sure how to follow that. Um, as I, wow. Um, I mean, you've already clearly said my name is Rafranz and um, I'm excited to be here. I am a former educator. I started teaching in 2005. I was a late bloomer into the field, um, having gone to college as an adult. And, and, and I mean, I, honestly, well, I think I'll cycle back to that later because that kind of brings into what I'm doing now kind of full circle. But um, I taught high school math. Um, geometry, algebra two, actually middle school and elementary math as well. Transitioned into technology. Um, I was a technology specialist, a math strategist. Like if you name a field in education, I've been that other than principal or superintendent, obviously. Um, ended my career in K-12 um, as an executive director of professional and digital learning. Um, but I've also had a lot of great experiences just connecting within the field, traveling around the world, speaking about my journey in education, um, things that I've done in terms of technology and STEM, specifically computer science. Again, I'm going to come back to that statement because <laughs> what I do now is kind of full circle to that. Um, and then when my superintendent left and went to a new school district, I, um, I stayed one more year and then transitioned out of education per se. I wouldn't say transitioned out, but more so I took that time to really think about who I was and what I wanted to do. And then COVID hit and I didn't go back and just consult it. Um, and now I work full time again at a tech company and um, I work at LinkedIn and I'm I'm probably will come back to that again later. But, you know, I'm pretty excited to be here just to talk about this honestly honest journey of chaos for myself. It's so funny that that's the name of this box, this whole um, series, but this journey of chaos myself and um, kind of some of the lessons that I've learned along the way and things that I've kind of have adapted to for my current life in reflecting on 
maybe some things over the past. I love that. Then I think there's, oh man, there's so much to unpack there and, and you hit on it a little bit already, but you know, I know one of the things that I, that I've been loving asking guests because I think it opens up our eyes that even though we all know, I think sometimes when, when we, we, we follow people or read work or, or think of other people, we think all their lives are linear and everything just kind of magically lines up, right? Even though we know better because our own lives are not that way, but we have this kind of like weird misconception. Well, everybody else's life must have just, everyone's just doing things. And yet here I am swirling around. <laughs> and so you, you talked about all the different hats you've worn. Um, and, and, and maybe it's more on that, that meta level, but what is your your origin story? You talked about how you got an education late. You're now working at LinkedIn, and you've talked about that a little bit. But how how have you navigated that? Because that is to me is so fascinating with so many people when I ask this. Because it is like you said, it, sometimes it, it comes full circle. Sometimes you start somewhere, you find an interest, and then you never think you'd be working at a company like LinkedIn and, and we were talking a little bit before the show and that doesn't mean that it's the end all be all and I'm nothing with that, but like, it's just where we are, these milestones in our life and our journey. And I think these are also, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Like how do we help kids understand that it's okay to like, to not always know and to, to, to explore your interests to see where things line up. I think that's a good point because for me, <laughs> it's not about letting kids know. It's also about making sure that adults know um, mm. and, and kids develop those thoughts as they become working adults, that parents that have those kids know that there are opportunities and options out there. For me, I was working. So I live in a small town in Texas, and it's a town that is a manufacturing town where there are lots of different manufacturing facilities. So um, I graduated high school. I did go to college for a few years to a junior college. Um, I came back home. I My daughter was born, and I took the route that a lot of people did here. I found a job locally, and I was good at it. I was started out as a um, I'm trying to remember shipping clerk at a manufacturing facility here in town and worked my way up to become um, a uh, part of the leadership team. I was, I can't remember my title back then. Uh, I think I was director of customer service and, and distribution or something mm. to that matter. Um, but as a lot of people are going through now, my the company I was working for had layoffs and my entire team was laid off. They moved our department to Phoenix, and that was not an option for me to move from Texas to Arizona. So I, you know, came home, cried it out, did unemployment, <laughs> did all the normal things you do. I think I was in my early 20s at the time, um, and I took a job just like in Dallas, driving an hour a day to mm -hmm. another um, like sound engineering company making at the time, I think it was $8 an hour. Mm. Now, I need you to understand how <laughs> this, it was the equivalent of making about five bucks an hour because of the gas. That I was, was going to say, five. yeah. Yeah, yeah right. So in a, I'd always thought about going back to college and I just never really knew that I could because there wasn't a university around me and I just didn't have the means to travel. Like, the opportunities for me to go, you know, move like the traditional student to go move away and stay at, it just stay at university wasn't there for me. Mm -hmm. um, but my local community college, I actually went to Navarro College and some of your listeners might know it if they watch the television show Cheer on Netflix. Um, the Navarro College from Netflix is the Navarro College I went to. 
um, they had a partnership with Texas A&M University Commerce where the university offered um, education degrees, um, your bachelor's degree through Navarro College. They actually had an extension on that campus. And in the back of my mind, I knew that by that time I was driving. And I, I'll never forget it, the way this happened because this is really my origin story. Yeah. I was driving one day to work and something said, Refrain's exit, turn around, go to Navarro. And it's sort of like, I have feel thinking about it. It's sort of like those, that moment when that voice just connects with you on what you need to do and your mind and body is in sync with that and says, all right, I'm going to exit, not go to work today, drive and go to Navarro. So I made, I did it. I exited. <laughs> I drove back from Dallas, the hour drive back to my hometown, 30 miles more south, back to Navarro College in Corsicana went to the registrar's office and just like basically applied for to come back to school on their paper applications at the counter. Um, and so I did it. I, uh, that I did my application for A&M Commerce. No, I actually, I started right back at Navarro then first. I started back at Navarro then um, just to, cause I had, hadn't even really finished my two year degree. Um, and it's so funny because the financial aid that I mean, my tuition was like $3,000. I didn't have $3,000 and I was sitting there going, I don't even know how I'm going to pay this. I just know <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. Um, so they sent me to talk to financial aid. I filled out the financial aid right there in the financial aid office. And the lady was like, well, you know, you probably qualify because I was a single mother, not making any money with a um, it, no income. And she was like, but we're not going to have this done before your tuition comes. So like you have until next Friday to come up with this or your classes will be dropped. Oh, Aaron, boy. I kid you not. Three days later, I get a phone call. My financial aid was in. Wow. Um, so that's how I started school. And at the time, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting back on Texas A&M Commerce. I didn't even really know about Texas A&M Commerce then. I was just retaking courses at Navarro. And I had a college algebra. I had to retake. No, I, I, I signed up to do teaching through Navarro because that's kind of what I knew what I would do. Um, my math 1350 teacher, which is the education math course, came up to me and she goes, well, Franz, what are you doing after you leave here? Where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I think I could go to University of North Texas. I can go do something. And so she said, no, you're going with me now. She grabbed me by my hand, took me in her car, drove me around to the side of the campus where a and Commerce was and walked me into the building and said, you need to sign up right now. Oh, and wow. that's what that's what I did. And um, I just ended up with the best possible training situation. It was A&M Commerce's campus on Navarro was, um, aside from all the other experiences that I had, it was life changing. I met the professor who is still in my life today. Um, she was my mentor professor who taught me the power of reflection, gave me a job tutoring um, you know, took me under her wing, brought me into her grant program. I was a part of a federally funded grant program called um, a teacher quality grant, where they embedded technology into our learning um, and taught us about professional learning, taught us about teaching what we know, integrating technology into math. We should, I traveled with her. I got to go to Atlanta and speak at a conference about um, junior college and university partnerships. And um I also had an opportunity to um, to work with her to train other junior college professors on 
how to put their lessons online. And this is all before I even stepped foot into a classroom to teach. Um, so by the time I stepped into a classroom to teach, I had already had like this very rich upbringing and experience. Yeah. My first year of teaching. So um, it just, it is, it just really kind of, to me, laid the foundation for who I would to become within the education field. Like I always, I, I, I kind of always knew I wanted to teach math because I was always good in math, even as a student in, you know, middle school when I was tutoring high school students so they could pass their state exams. Um, but I just never knew those opportunities existed. But what that university taught me were the opportunities that existed even within the realm of education that I would not have known had I just kind of stepped in. Um, so, I mean, it it just, I, I, when I reflect and think back on that and then think back to all the crazy things that I've undergone in education and where <laughs> I am now, I don't even think I've ever shared this story um, wow. in this way. So you you have an exclusive here, Aaron. I like it's that just, <laughs> so yeah, it's just um, it's it's just really that was really I think such an important foundational part of my life that had I not had that experience at between Navarro and A and M University Commerce, I would never have done all of the work that I had done within education. Well, one, I appreciate you sharing that, and as you're as you're talking, I just think about those moments, right? That 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 when our, like you said, the body, the mind, the spirit aligns and, and, and we go with that gut instinct and boy, if you didn't turn around, who knows, right? Um, what opportunities you would have had, but the, what you, I mean, you coming into my network virtually, I mean, for, for most of the work, um, it's not like you and I have hung out and had coffee and things like that, but I mean, right. I, I followed the work through, uh, obviously the emergence of technology and, um, to know that, man, that could not, maybe the car didn't turn around. Maybe that stuff doesn't happen because the impact you've had on education um, has been rippling. And so I want to fast forward, but I want to come back to that because you also mentioned, you know, your professor that took you by the hand. And and so often we hear stories like that, right? Where an educator or or someone in the community takes note of somebody and helps kind of nudge them where they need to be. And without that, you know, who knows where where, where the next steps would be. And we also know so many children, and it could be adults as as well, who maybe don't always get that for a whole variety of reasons. So looking at the landscape of all the things now where there are lots of opportunities and nothing is is, is perfect by any means, but there is more accessibility to things. But I think there's a huge, huge wedge in that of awareness and connecting people to all the opportunities is something that I think is drastically still missing. Thinking back on your experience and probably some of the work you're, you're, you're processing behind the scenes as well as LinkedIn, you know, how do we, I mean, it's a big question and not there's a, a complete solution, but I'm sure there you've, you've had some thoughts around it work to increase the amount of opportunities that, that students have to have someone, you know, grab them by the hand physically, mm -hmm. virtually to know that those opportunities that the school is right around the corner, so to speak, um, because while things are more accessible, as I said earlier, I still feel like not every kid is even aware or families are aware or communities are aware of the things that are that are available to take advantage of. And that wasn't even part of what I wanted to talk to you about today, but your story has me triggering thinking about 
the paper copies, right? And, uh, you know, minimum wage at, or whatever it was at $8 an hour. And I'm thinking about the jobs where I was working for, for $4 sticking. That was, I was, I was a high roller. So, uh, any insights to that? Not to really put you on the spot like I just no, did. No, <laughs> that's a that's a great question because I def, I actually have a very good experience with that as well. Um, I think schools have to be intentional about doing it. That there's no other way around it. Yeah. You have to you have to have a great counseling center. Like when I worked at one school district that had a a senior transition center. Uh, actually, two school districts where the the priority was helping students to connect with their next steps whether that be college, you know, university, junior college, um, trade school, um, other types of career options, uh, military, whatever the case may be, they they had a center specifically for that, you know, family community center. So you definitely have to be intentional. You also need to have teachers who are willing to grab people by the hand to pull them where they need to be. Um, as a high school teacher, I will Another thing I'll never forget, I had gone to the office with a student. I don't even remember what, oh, it was a student I was concerned with because there were some things going on. And in my mind, I thought counselors actually counseled back then. And I, I say <laughs> that to say, yes, they do counsel, but what people don't realize are the amount of paperwork that a lot of high school counselors have to do. So right. while they're inundated with not just scheduling year round, but changes all the time and all of the issues that come in and out of the office. Um, a lot of schools don't have the um, mental support for students that you think that job entails. Um, and it's, I mean, it's just often not there. So I had gone to talk about a student and something was happening and I was just in the counselor's office and I happened to look down on her desk and I don't know why, but I saw this brochure for a program and it was a program um, called Upward Bound Math and Science, um, and it was for um, you know students who were interested or needed opportunities to go to college. And I just remember seeing just a few words on the thing, and so I stopped her and I asked her what was this, and she explained it to me um, that it was a program targeting um, minority or um, students who lacked financial support or needed additional help in order to get to college, but maybe had an affinity for math and science. But she was running data from the computer to pull the students who would qualify. And the I don't know if we all know that the data in the computer doesn't always tell a full story. <laughs> so there were two students on that list. And those students were, um, you know, honestly, not even in the demographic of students that that program is for. So as I took it, I read through it. I went back to my classroom. I did a Google search. I looked it up looked all around online, went back to her and I was like, look, please let me help. I have about 10 students right now that I know would absolutely qualify for this. And if we can do this and we can help them get in, um, I will help. I will sponsor it. I'll help do it. Um, not knowing what that even meant at the time. <laughs> so I didn't even, I didn't, had no idea. So, um, but the cool thing about it was, you know, the university partnership, this was University of Texas at Arlington. The partnership actually sent transportation to schools to pick kids up two Saturdays a month to take them to the university for courses or for collaboration and courses on campus. They also had a tutoring group. They would come to the school a few days a week to tutor students after school. But the main goal is to prepare them for their next steps in college mm -hmm. and expose them to math and science careers. So all of the students that we submitted got in 
And we started this three, it was a three-year journey for me of being the sponsor for my high school's Upper Bound Math and Science program. And I would recruit students left and right. Every time the year came up, I'd recruit students to bring them in. We'd help with the application and get them in. And several of those students are actually teaching now. Um, but they uh, they went through the program and, you know, the program paid for their SAT and ACTs, prepared them for that. It, um, it's a college board, it's a whole nother story right now. Um, <laughs> it paid for, um, of course, their trips. They also got to go on a um, summer sabbatical with the university to take courses during the summer. It paid for all of the, all of those things. So I say all that to say that you need the initiative of teachers. You you need teachers. Like people are like, AI is going to replace teaching. AI does not replace the human component <laughs> no. needed for teaching, period. So um, you need teachers that are willing to take that extra step, schools that are willing to recognize that there are opportunities out there. And it's your responsibility to seek those out and to expose or let the community know that they exist. Um, but you have to be intentional about doing it because it doesn't just happen. You need people and those people need to seek out and bring it in. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that that human element is 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 so paramount in any of this work in in in, in what we're doing in education or or any field for that matter. And so maybe to 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 build upon that even further. And so here you are now working at LinkedIn and just kind of following your journey online, a little bit of a learning curve. And again, I'm I'm putting thoughts and words based on interpretation of of what I've read. So you can please correct me if I'm wrong or misspeak, but it, you've, you've been on this new path, I'll say outside of education, but I it's, I know it's directly, it all fits this ecosystem of, of teaching and learning and you're yeah. learning and you're learning and you're, you're probably getting to see this bigger sector of how businesses work. LinkedIn is, is not small, um, but it's a good probably opportunity for you to, to see the education experience that you had, the opportunities and things and all the stuff that you've done in education. Now here you are in LinkedIn working in this, this business field and to kind of build back, we talked about this, this human element earlier of what you're just talking about with that story. What are some of the parallels or things that, you know, as I think I'm going to call a disruption and we, and this, this conversation is not about AI, but right now the, the, the pillars are shaking. I like to say as people are freaking out for all those things, that's a whole nother thing, but there's a good opportunity for us to kind of reassess how we do things and where are we, we putting focus. So based on, on, on your experience with LinkedIn and your, your robust education career and life experiences, what are those things that you're like, man, we really, really need to keep doing some of these things. Or, boy, we really need to put some of this deeper focus into some of these skills or mindsets or dispositions. Oh, definitely. So the work that I do at LinkedIn, I'm an associate content manager, which is an entry level um, position into content management and all of the the that all of that is involved with that piece. I actually work on the teach the teaching and learning side, basically, um, of LinkedIn learning. So I'm still in the learning space, but I'm in the adult learning space. Um, And so one thing that I definitely think that we can bring back into the K-12 circuit is this idea of what it means to upskill and um, what it means, what, what what are careers looking for? What are you looking for? If you're starting a company, what type of people do you want in that company and what type of skills they need to have and how are they going to learn those skills? Or 
if you want to go learn Python, um, which I'm still working on on that course, <laughs> or go learn um, or, you know, go learn project management or, you know, or go learn sales or go learn any of those things. Um, the Just the idea of we talk about learning and professional learning, but we don't talk about what the extension of that is and how do we continue to grow within our careers and to develop the skills for this new what's called skill-based system in terms of hiring. Even the state of Texas has partnered with, the universities have partnered with like Google um, to bring into a skills-based, um, a skills, like a skills program that, you know, people can go and take like free certification courses and then have access to a job pool in order to have employment. So it's all about building skills. So I definitely think that's one thing. Another thing is that I work, um, the content area that I manage is called AEC. It's architecture, engineering, and construction. Um, and so the fun thing about that is that I, uh, at first, and I was kind of going through it, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, yes, I worked in manufacturing, but this is different. And I haven't, I don't know that, that I don't have the knowledge set. Well, you work with um, instructors from around the world who are professionals. They're the subject matter experts, you know, coming from a person who used to be the subject matter expert and now working with subject matter experts. That's been one thing. But the right. other thing is I realized that the, the field that I manage, or I don't say, I, I don't want to manage this field, but the courses that I manage are more about STEM in action. So that took me back to my STEM roots in K-12. Um, so as we talk about um, STEM careers, you know, I think Discovery Education used to have some really good content in terms of exposing kids to um, various types of STEM careers. But so much of our focus on STEM has been on computer science. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I think that we need to expand the narratives around STEM. And mm. in order to do that, you need to connect with industry professionals. You need to connect with community uh, professionals who do the STEM in action type work. Um, and so like there's a ton of different careers involved, um, application careers of, you know, building and not building and maintenance and um, construction sites and different levels of engineering that um, students could be exposed to that they typically aren't. Um, so if that exists within this, you know, STEM field, then what other areas are we not fully exposing or showing them how to gain more information about? So I think about those things a lot. And I don't know what the answer is, because you can always say, connect, connect, connect. But when do you do that? And how do you have the time? And maybe it's a career day at school. Maybe it's a something where the students do some type of their own kind of exploration of different types of fields. But I think that there needs to be more conversation around what the professional world actually looks like versus what we think it looks like. Um, and you can't do that unless you're connecting with professionals in the field in order to have those conversations. I love that. And as you're, as you're sharing that, I'm inside is like clapping and, you know, preach an amen to that because I I'm one of the things that I've been really passionate about lately is trying to figure out what that looks like in the K-8 landscape. I think when they're in high school, you can get into some different pathways or CTE careers or yeah. there's, there's there's things you can do when kids yeah. are older and have a vehicle and things like that. But 
I worry that by that point, a lot of kids have made up their minds on what they think they can't do. And therefore, they're not exploring those opportunities. And they're making those decisions without any exposure to even realize if they like or don't like things. So I've been trying to wrap my head around that. And I don't have an answer either. But I was it made me think about just earlier in the school year, we did a, a large project on survival. Long story short, because this show is not about me, but we were weaving in elements from NASA um, and various experts because we were looking at the skills, mindsets, and disposition to survive. And we wanted the kids to realize what they're the Artemis generation, that to live on the moon, what you need there outside of like just basic food, water, air, isn't any different than what uh, we used uh, all 13 for the, the the soccer team that got trapped in the caves. Um, and then we were comparing it to ancient Egypt and our history thing. Like the, they're, they're the same skills and mindsets. You need one another. You got to work together. I mean, all those types of things. But we were bringing in the experts. And the, one of the things that we started to do is have them talk about their job first before we got information. And I, I can't tell you how many times we, we said NASA and the kids were like, oh, astronauts. And one of our biggest ahas was we learned right away that there's 44 astronauts, but there's over 100,000 employees and they need artists and they need graphic designers and they need storytellers and they need this. And, and we were speaking with uh, one young lady uh, and I say young because I'm old, uh, but she was just incredible she's working on the artemis at the control station but she were asked about her career and she's like a fusion welder and all these types of different welding and the kids are sitting there going what like because that wasn't like what we were talking to her about but they're like well what's fusion welding and what's underwater welding and and she's going off talking on these things and it completely shifted perception it it changed like the awareness of like we don't even, I, maybe we don't even still know what that means, but man, there's a lot of cool stuff that's in the world. And it just like, just bringing it in. And there wasn't a whole lot of positives at COVID, but I think one of the positives, if we have to talk positively about that event, was people are more willing to join virtually. Um, and so it that has been, if nothing else, helping kids like rethink stuff. And I, my favorite thing was there's a young, young girl, all sorts of, great kid i love her all sorts of things going on and i just remember we finished the whole thing and she was like i think i could work at nasa and i don't think that was something she thought of before because she didn't realize like i don't want to go to space or for it that's out of, out of luck and the goal wasn't to create nasa employees but you know like as you're talking i'm just thinking like that awareness piece how do we help kids see like there's and there's so many of these types of cool things in our backyards in our local community we just have no idea Oh, definitely. I, I, even <laughs> at the manufacturing facility I worked at had sound engineers. That's how I knew what a sound engineer was when I worked at a company around them. Um, so it's just, it's just a wild um, array of opportunity out there. So I think it's healthy to have a connection between school and community, but there definitely needs to be some intention around how do we connect people to these pathways? And maybe that's not the responsibility. Uh, part of it is on the school with students, but in terms of community-wide, maybe that's a greater community initiative that needs to happen. Uh, maybe there's a local setups where people can go to learn. Uh, how do I connect? How do I get um, to multiple of these sites that, that share um, these different jobs? How do I connect to the network of people that are sharing them? I mean, it's just... There's so much out there that people just don't know. And, you know, I came from education and 
I've been all over the world and I've learned so much through the job search process of Mm -hmm. how I, everything that we knew about what it takes to even become employed, just throw it out the window. You need to relearn all of that again. Um, But also have that ability to be a person that can say, I need to learn this and here is how I'm going to do it or where I'm going to do it. Um, So I realized that for me, just the initiative to do that is not something that a lot of people intrinsically have. Uh, But I also think that it's something that we can raise people to become, um, but also connect them with the opportunity or the pathway in order to get there. Mm, I love that. And so as you think about what you're doing and you're working in this teaching and learning space with adults, which um, is not always the same as teaching and learning with students. I've, I've learned that in, in my job that of, of what I currently do. And, uh, you know, there's, there, there are differences. Um, you know, if we were to play the, the what if scenario and taking what you've gathered from this experience that you're currently in and you put yourself back into, I'll say the K-12 education landscape uh, just for the sake of this uh, mock scenario, what would you do different or what has cemented work that you were doing prior going, man, I'm, I'm, we're on the right track. Cause I think you, you have a unique opportunity or, or, or learning journey that not every educator has. I mean, there, there's all sorts of stories, but a lot of us, we get into education, we tend to stay in the education space for the duration of our careers. We might change schools and what we teach and that type of thing. But for a lot of us, we, this is, we live here um, and we don't always have that, like, I'm, I'm going to call it industry experience to bring back into the fold. We just take what we think is is needed. Um, and so you have been able to dabble both and, and still keep that teaching and learning going on. So, you know, what, what strikes you as, man, I need to bring that back if I was in that or boy, I was, I, I, I was rocking it in the right way. And I know that's weird thinking in the eye terminology, but you've got a unique um, insight that not all of us have. Um, I can answer that without even thinking. Um, <laughs> I know the answer to that without even thinking. Uh, for me, it is blogging and portfolios. I used to uh, blog on my own domain. I still have my own domain. I, it's connected to something, I think. Um, but I used to write all the time. And I used to share the work that I did, which is honestly how I got into, how I grabbed, I was able to have the opportunities that I had as far as, you know, speaking in different places, connecting, teaching in different places, because people saw that I shared my work in some capacity. At some point in time, I think it was because my website got hacked by some, you know, it was very, it was unsecure WordPress. It got hacked in. And I just was over it by that time. And I just let it, I let it go. And I wish I didn't let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, I also wish that there were tons of different projects and ideas that I wanted to do, but never did. Um, So like, and I'm not going to say them now because I I feel like I'm going to do it at at some point, but I would have put those projects into action. I would have claimed them. I would have created whatever necessary, you know, tax documentation that I needed to do for them. And I would have done it just to create my own experience, my own thing. So I would continue blogging, 
continue portfolio. And then if there's something that you want to do and you want to make it, make it. Mm. I would have absolutely done that. Um, The other thing that I would have done is, and I kind of came up through this Twitter connected world of education where we called things out about, you know, that we didn't agree with and some things were warranted, like the, you know, slave gamification, which I just thought was, you could not say that. (laughs) Um, But there were things that other people created. And whereas maybe I didn't see the vision behind it, and maybe I, you know, just didn't agree with the, the marketing of it or the selling it of something greater than what it was, I think that I could have been a better steward of creativity and not always pointing those things out in the Mm. way that I did. That I think was probably one of, then this is not necessarily about career, but I think of all the regrets that I have, my life as a disruptor, I think is the part that I regret the most. Mm. Um, I think that, I think creativity is amazing. And I think to, to, to make something and to put it out there for whatever capacity you do is such a scary thing. And I think that a lot of times in teaching, we say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't put that out there. Don't do this. But I think we need to say, do that a lot more. Um, whether it is you writing a book about ways to use Google or um, you know, the graphics around all the ways to use chat GBT in the classroom or or you writing a book about Microsoft or all the coding books and all the things we need to encourage more publishing and sharing. And we need to stop tearing teachers down for micro branding or for putting their work into the space, because that takes away, I think, from people seeing teachers more as the professionals that they are. It's sort of like a person telling you to stay in your place and don't make that. Now, do I always agree with what people make? No. But I don't think that in every situation, it's not my job to say that. Um, and I, I, I just, I think about that probably more than anything. Anytime I see some of those names come across that have made things that, you know, I was, I mean, I'll just say I was very critical of, I think, hyperdocs at the time, just a hyperlink in a document. And I was like, that's just a hyperlink in a document. <laughs> blah, blah. Um, it just, <laughs> but at the flip side of that is that those teachers or that teacher that created that created a way for a person who didn't necessarily have the tech skills that I had or that you have or that others have come into using that piece of technology in an entry level way to do something different in their classroom that they hadn't done. And I don't think that um, I don't think that pointing out how this is not something new is beneficial when a person is new to it. Mm. Um, So taking a step back from education has really made me go back and look at how I connected. Um, And I think that, I think that those are the things that if I've changed anything, it would be that, that would be the major thing. And then it would be, as I'm looking at next steps and how do we share the things that we make and how do we publish that? It would be retaining my own presence of creativity online. Um, I'm struggling now with how do I, like I'm, I have this creative juices flowing, but how do I share this in my new reality? Like yeah. I don't want to be one of those people outside of K-12 who talks about K-12 and 
all of a sudden you become an expert of things, but you're not working in school. So, mm. I mean, I'm struggling on that side of it was, is who is Refrans now and how do I share that and how do I put that into this space while also reconciling with some of just the reflections of the past. And um, I just, that's one, that's a major one for me. Uh, well, first, I appreciate your uh, your vulnerability in sharing that because I know it's not always easy to look ourselves in the mirror and then let alone to share it on a podcast. So I think you, you hit on, on, on some key things and I think it, it resonates with a lot of us in, in, in some shape or form, even if that is the judging of one another in our own school or in our own district. I mean, we we do this and we know better and yet we do, whether that's out of fear, a lack of our own confidence. Uh, there's a whole myriad of things that where that, that could be. But I think you really hit on on something that I think is, is is really really crucial right now, especially with the landscape of of education, is that we may not agree with all the ideas or how people are approaching, but we do need to support the community of of putting work forward because we do as an education system, the people doing the work, and I'm not even in the classroom, so I'm I'm thinking of like. People like my wife, who is who is grinding out eighth grade algebra every day. I'm thinking about the classrooms I'm going to go to and, and and work with, and I get to see what it takes to do the work every single day. They have to tell their story because the story that that's being told of them by others is is not cutting it. And so I think that 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 communal acknowledgement and support of putting the work out there. Um, is so monumental and in, in, I think shaping the narrative um, because it's to teach right now it, it, it's you you don't there's nothing in the world right now where you go man I want to do that job you know <laughs> like unless you you know of someone who maybe has inspired you like it's just so I think there's there, there's something really powerful to what you said so I appreciate you sharing that of course I mean it I I honestly, I'll be honest, I honestly thought about making a list of all the people that I would like to go back to and, and honestly apologize to. Mm. Um, and I have not taken that leap to do that yet. And part of it is the fear of, you know, what are, what are they going to think if I'm suddenly in their DM saying that? But I, I think that I'm probably going to do it one day mm. um, just because I feel like I feel like I need to do that for me in terms of who I was in this community. Um, and I, I think that's important to, to kind of own up to that. I think there are spaces to absolutely call out things into question. For instance, the lack of diversity among that still happens with yes. specifically people of color in the education and the technology space, like those things, the all white panels, those things. Right. Um, but um, to say you shouldn't make this thing just because I don't like it is... <laughs> not i mean okay you have an opinion keep it to yourself you don't have to like something but other people do um the interesting thing is how i came to this reflection and i'm only going to mention this once and i'm not like i don't want to have a long conversation about it because no, we have so many different people <laughs> have asked about it but um anyone that follows me on twitter knows that i rarely tweet about education anymore because typically i'm probably tweeting about music and specifically BTS and just a little bit my, my support of <laughs> just BTS just a little bit but what that has taught me in connecting with a global fandom is that 
And when you post something online, it lives online forever. And if you post something at six o'clock, someone around the world might see it 12 hours later when they wake up to the next day. So number one, everything you post online is important. You really need to be intentional about what you say and think about it. The other thing is that behind those tweets are people. And mm-hmm. um, especially in the side of music Twitter that's called Stan Twitter, um, you typically see a profile of a character or caricature of a person or an artist that someone loves and you don't know who's behind that account. It could be someone, an eight-year-old, you don't know. It could be a 40-year-old, you don't know. Um, But people can be mean and Mm. they can um, just do things and say things that you just don't know how that makes a person feel. Um, and I've been a person who have made some mistakes online, not under, like, first of all, I am not of the age of a lot of different people, although within our fandom, our age range is crazy insane, uh, right. crazy diverse. Um, but at the same time, um, I, when I came into this, you know, you don't know the background and the gra- the gravity of how that whole music world works. So one tweet to that to you is innocent, just like angers millions of people and you don't even know um so i i think that having those conversations and seeing this world play out is really what took me back to reflect on how i communicate online and how i approach situations which took which took me back to um my communications with others in the field of education and mm. um and then as we comment on music and songs we like or don't like and you know there are bands that I don't like I don't talk about them online and then I thought you know what there are other things in my life that I didn't like did I really need to talk about that online or could I just not like it in silence right. um or not like it in a private group it didn't have to become this big thing where I have thousands of followers that now see me hate this big thing and then everyone feels empowered to also hate that big thing. Right. Um, so I think that whatever way you get there to reflect on yourself, mine was through music. I think that I hope that people find ways to think about how they communicate online, how you communicate professionally, how you treat each other professionally. And then by all means, if we can get back to amplifying what teachers have to say, especially with the climate of what's happening in education right now, we need to do that a lot more. I love it. I love it. There's there's so much there. And I could go on and ask more questions on that <laughs> very topic. But uh, I want to be respectful of your time and respectful of the show. And so I think that 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 question for us to think about, um, thinking about our, our practices, both currently in the past and thinking about how we want to move forward to be a better person um, tomorrow. And, 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 you know, I think is a, is a great stopping point for this show for all of us <laughs> to consider, because I think it's, it's something that uh, we can all do in, in whatever shape or form, whatever context, whatever community and communication channels, the things we use, whether we're even in those spaces or it's face to face or behind the back of people or whatever the form, I think it, it, it all resonates regardless of who we are. And so I want to thank you, for this conversation. I want to thank you for uh, your bravery and sharing those things. It's been, man, really, really powerful. I know we were talking before the pre-recording. We didn't have talking points. And this is uh, and it, this is just a perfect case of 
I, we couldn't have crafted a better conversation, I think, if we tried. Um, and so I, I, I love the personal touch and flavor that you brought to the show. So thank you so much for your time and uh, joining me today. Thank you for having me. You know, and just probably the last thing here, I'll get all the stuff in the show notes. People know that. But if they are interested, if people listening don't know who you are, and I think you have shared a lot of insights there, there, that you're you're going to have some some new followers, whether they're through your 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 music love or or other elements. You know, where are some of the best places for people um, to find you and uh, learn more about you? Um, professionally, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, that probably is that it's Rafrans Davis on LinkedIn. It's probably the best place to connect with me. I mean, I'm I'm on Twitter, but it's rarely in the education space of Twitter. Uh, just it's just such a different landscape now. But yeah, yeah. if you want to connect with me on Twitter, go. You can go right ahead. Uh, but just professionally, I think that LinkedIn is my place. Yep, yep. And just get your BTS uh, love ready if you're gonna hang out with you over there on uh twitter so you're not just that abbott elementary <laughs> no, that's right, fans, that's right. video yeah, games that's the, right yeah the, the, the gamut of things in the world that i love that i, I mean, love it twitter is just where i am who i am yep that's great well you we have to get that in the show notes and uh as always thank you so much for your time thank you Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.